Okay, without any further ado, for our second message, it'll be brought to us by Mr. Matthew Steele and is entitled First Fruit Fields. Good afternoon, everybody. I just realized as I was working up my title, it's, uh, you know, it's a bit of a tongue twister. First fruit fields. Uh, and I guess, depending on the fruit, it could be strawberry fields, right? So that's appropriate for, for where I come from. Uh, forever, that's right. You know, uh, Pentecost, uh, as any of our holy days, they are markers in time, aren't they? They... Um, obviously, our markers throughout the year, or certainly Pentecost is probably the strongest one, we count to Pentecost. But, but all of God's holy days are moments in time throughout the year, and with that also is moments of time throughout our lives. We remember events and places and people and, and things that we did on those holy days, uh, often and hopefully mostly fond memories. Of, uh, of those, and Renee and I were talking about this this morning. I was reminded um, it was uh, just before Pentecost when I was still back in England, when Renee and I were just starting to date, I suppose, um, and I had wrecked my car and uh, got a neck injury, and so for about two weeks, including Pentecost, I had to wear this brace on my neck and that was great because it smelled all the time. I don't know if you've ever had one of those things. It was the old kind. It was a foam material, and uh, it, was, it was not pleasant. And, I mean, I thought it was bad, and nobody wanted to sit by me in church. <laughs> but then I was also remembering maybe a, a more fun memory of my dad and I going down to London for Pentecost services, and it was an extra weekend. I think they tacked on a, an extra day for seminars or something like that. And uh, uh, I, we went down there because uh, Mr. Dart had come over to England and was in London. And, you know, we're, we're going down there, and we're on the cheap. So we had a tent, and we couldn't find the campsite when we were outside of London, and we got totally lost because, you know, we, we didn't really go to London very much. Um, ended up at a, a Boy Scouts camp, and they very kindly let us stay in their camp. But, of course, that was, you know, meant that we were awoken fairly early. And uh, it was probably about 5.30 when the bugle went off. But that's fun memories. And uh, uh, that was actually, uh, uh, many of you know Brent Kern, and Brenton and I joke because that was the time that he met me. But I don't remember meeting him, uh, which is kind of amazing to imagine with, with Brent. So we have these fun memories. We have these experiences together as families, as church family. But Pentecost, I don't know. I, I feel like it's the least understood holy day. And not because we're doing anything wrong or, or we haven't spent enough time on it. I just feel like there's, there's so much more there in the meaning of Pentecost for the future 
uh, as well as for the past, that we've, we've, we've barely even scratched the surface on. And you know, I think about all those Pentecost sermons and sermonettes and, and Bible studies and all the things that we've, we've done over the years, and there's, there's good stuff. But there just seems to be more. And I, maybe that's just me. I, I'm still struggling with this counting. And, and if there's a greater understanding in the counting to Pentecost. You know, obviously beyond what we, we've already just talked about. And so Pentecost is, is in lots of ways, to me, still missing more meaning and more substance. Don't get me wrong, it has meaning. Uh, and we, we touch upon that every year. It has a lot of deep meanings. There are instructions from God about what to do on this day, what this day does represent. There is history, you know, what happened on this day, the giving of the law, and, and then also obviously for the church, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And all of that is very, very important. So I don't mean to dismiss that. And so I'm thinking about this as I'm looking at the blank page on the computer and, and trying to think of a Pentecost message. And so I just kind of started that narrative to myself, asking God to show me some, some new things, maybe some deeper meaning than, than perhaps we've explored before. And this is certainly new to me, and don't worry, it's not new doctrine. There's already a Pentecostal church, so we can't go off and you know, make a whole new Pentecost church. But. Let's start in Leviticus 23 in verse 15. Because you know, we find Pentecost there in its original name, the Feast of Weeks. And God in instructed Israel to celebrate this spe special day, and he gave them very specific, as he does with all of the holy days, very specific and maybe forward-looking uh, practices and things to do on that day. So the Feast of Weeks, in verse 15 it says, And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. You count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You know, and as we've heard before, and you've heard me drone on with my silly calendars, and Pentecost calendars, but... But we are told to count, and not just in one way. Not just count 50 days, but count seven Sabbaths. So we're told to count in two distinct ways. Why is that? Why, uh, why is this important? Well, certainly, if you were living in the time period uh, just after Jesus' death and resurrection, it was very important that you count, that you be there on that day of Pentecost. It was important for the church. So if you were one of the disciples, as some of the disciples clearly had started to do, was to leave, you know, and, and Jesus corralled some of them to, back, remember, on the road to Emmaus and so on, and they came back. It's very important for them to count and to be there at that place in that time. And then Steve mentioned earlier that God meets with us on these days. And he gives us some very important instruction to meet with him, to be here. So we count these seven Sabbaths to be completed. 
and obviously the 50th day being today. God really wants us to be here together. He wants us here together. And it's an interesting note that the counting starts from the day after the weekly Sabbath. And you know, some might argue over that scripture. And in fact, that argument has been going on for at least 2,000 years, probably longer. Because what happened was at the time of the, the, before the destruction of the temple, the count was the way we do it now. It was actually a Sadducean count, and it was to count from the day after the weekly Sabbath that occurred during the Days of Unleavened Bread. And that's what we do, and that's how we arrive at this date. But after, shortly after the destruction of the temple, that all changed. And then the Pharisees took over, and their perspective came to the forefront. And so now large portions of Judaism actually have a floating Pentecost. Because, of course, they count from the first day of unleavened bread, the day after it. And so that can be any day of the week. So I thought that was really fascinating. And so, we know then that the, the early church, when they first met on that Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out on the church, it was the same way in which we count here. So that's interesting. And it's reinforcing to our faith. Verse 17, he says, You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephir, and they shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year, without blemish, one young bull, and two rams. And they shall be a burnt offering to the Lord, with their grain offering and with their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. And then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of a peace offering. The priest shall wave them with the bread of the firstfruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. And they shall be holy to the Lord for the, for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work in it. You shall, it shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout generations. So there's a lot of technical information in there, isn't there? There are certain animals required for the sacrifices and in certain ways and the, the, the sequence of them. And it's interesting that um, at least I find myself, okay, yeah, there's a selection of animals, poor things are slaughtered and they're roasted and it must have smelled really good. And is that relevant for us today? because the sacrifices have been made complete in Christ. So, you know, it's easy to kind of skip over those. But there is two that we really should take notice of, because again, I find it interesting. It, it explores more of the meaning of Pentecost. So the first, the kid of the goats, is a sin offering. And that, being a goat, is reflective of atonement. Interesting. And then you have two lambs. I think it was two lambs. Obviously a tie to, to Passover and the lamb. But it's called a peace offering. 
So we have this sin offering and peace offering in the middle of Pentecost. What's that all about? I mean, Passover and the covering of the people's sins, the covering of our sins, was just 50 days ago. Just 50 days. Did we sin already? You betcha. Yeah, we did. Already. And of course, even after Passover, those of you that went to that, uh, the tabernacle presentation, it was really well portrayed that even after, right after atonement, the weekly sacrifices and the sacrifices of sin continued on again and again. And it's interesting that even today, we have a need, don't we, to confess our sins, to have our sins covered again <laughs> daily sometimes by the blood of the Lamb. And so that is central still to Pentecost, that there is an opportunity, unfortunately, in this world for us to sin. And then the other sacrifice, well, that goes a little deeper. Because not only have we sinned and need to be forgiven, but we also have this rupture in peace. And just in, in 50 days, we can rupture our relationship with God. You know, one of the titles that Jesus has is the Prince of Peace, right? And when I think of that, I think the Prince of Peace. He is the ruler, he is the king, he's the Prince of Peace, he's going to establish peace on the earth. Well, yeah, that's true. But he's also the Prince of Peace for us in our lives. And so central in Pentecost is this gift of peace. It's this restoration of our relationship with God that can get fractured. It can get fractured in many different ways. Romans, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 5, Paul says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it cannot be subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And we're not in the flesh, but we live in the body of the flesh. We are in the spirit, but we are still inhabiting much to our chagrin and sometimes discomfort, we're still inhabiting this body of sin and death. And so in just 50 days from Passover to Pentecost, we can find ourselves at war with God, in enmity with God because of our sin. And so we have this opportunity on this day for that reconciliation, again, to be given to us freely, to find peace in Christ Jesus, reconciliation and forgiveness. And how do we do that? How do we do that today? I mean, Passover is a very unique ceremony, a service, and it certainly focuses the mind and, and the heart and the spirit. But in Pentecost, we, we, don't, we don't have that. I would say that we do that by simply being here, 
with one another. By not being at home or distant or cut off from brethren by ourselves. Because if we have sinned, if we have fallen away from God, if we have this rupture and we don't have peace with him, it's easy for us to withdraw, right? To be ashamed. And when we're ashamed, we look down. And when you look down, look down right now, what do you see? You see your body. This fleshly body of sin and death. And Pentecost tells us to come here. It's a commanded assembly. Gather with your brethren and look up. Look up. Look up to God where, our, where the spirit comes from. Look to him and have that restoration and that peace. You know, sometimes we can have a rupture without necessarily a sin. Sometimes we can have a rupture in our faith because of maybe what we go through in life, things that come on us. And, and we, God, why did... Why did you allow this to happen? Why did you allow this, this challenge, this pain or, or loss? Why did this happen to me? And so we can, we can start to blame him almost. And again, cause that rupture. Pentecost gives us a way to come back to him. Jesus has made that peace between us and God. And he reminds us, too, that we don't walk in the flesh anymore. We walk in the Spirit. We walk in this Holy Spirit that was first given at that first Christian Passover, at Pentecost. And we just happen to reside still in the body of sin and death. Going back to Leviticus 23 and verse 22, there's another uh, interesting statement. And I've overlooked it, and it's easy to do. So remember, we're still in the context of, of Pentecost, or the Feast of First Fruits, uh, the Feast of Weeks. And th this Pentecost celebration is, is a harvest celebration. And so it says, And when you shall reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Have you ever noticed that passage? I mean, it's kind of easy to just skip over. But it's really interesting. Because if you, if you start to think about it, well, what did that mean? I mean... Why did God want them to do that? Obviously, he gives us a reason here. It's for the poor and for the stranger. But this, this is a society that doesn't have grocery stores, right? So if you run out of food before the next harvest, you're in trouble. So you want me to leave extra food in the corners? I mean, it's probably a, <laughs> very uncommon at that time. But yes, God says, I want you to leave food. I want you to leave it for the poor and for the stranger. Okay. What reason would there 
for this to be done. Apart from kindness, God's mercy, God's grace for those that, you know, obviously couldn't, couldn't maybe farm. Maybe they lost their land and, uh, or couldn't farm enough. Maybe they, that part of the country had, you know, a blight or a famine. Who knows? But somebody was in need of food. So the poor of the land. But then the more interesting part to me is the stranger. The stranger. Why the stranger? Or as we would call them today, the illegal aliens. Right? There's a lot of conversation about that. It has been for quite a while. God's plan was that the illegal aliens could have food for free. Interesting, isn't it? God's way, different from man's way. Very different. And I'm sure if you think about it, the word would have spread. Hey, you know those Israelites that moved into the land? They leave food for anybody that needs it at harvest time. You can just go get it. Really? Let's go get it. So these strangers would come to Israel, right? I'm sure probably there was a a distance that could travel to come get this food. But these strangers, these foreigners, non-Israelites, could come to Israel and get food for free. Those that were traveling through the land, they didn't have to stop at McDonald's. They could get food for free. It's interesting. And maybe they would ask, why did they do this? Their God told them to do this? What's their God about? I mean, most of the gods that we know, they require, you know, the death of some poor soul in order to get, you know, blessing from heaven and free stuff. These Israelite people are different. They leave the fruit, the first fruits of their fields. They leave some of it for the strangers and the poor. So could this be one of the meanings of Pentecost? One of the meanings that maybe we've skipped over. Because I think there's a Christian application for this. Obviously, there could be a Christian application in our own church about providing for the needs of the poor and the strangers. And that's good. But I think there was also a bigger application of that. And it was manifest in that first Christian Pentecost. So it reminds me of a passage in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 1. It says, Ho, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come gather the corners of the field. Come without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people, Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, 
and nations who do not know you shall run to you. Because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. It's a beautiful passage. And it it's, seems to me that it, it goes very much with the intent that God gave to Israel to freely give to those that were foreigners, strangers, and the poor. God was glorifying Israel in that. Because he would be providing for his people to the point that they could do this and, and, and not die, not run out of food. That they could provide for those foreigners that came amongst them. Those strangers and pilgrims. Is there an application for us as the church? Do we have something that is more valuable than the bread that money can buy? Do we have something that is more satisfying than these meals, these spiritual meals that the world gives? Yes, we do. Of course we do. And if, if God was to glorify Israel so that strangers would come to see them and see their God, then wouldn't he also glorify us? And he did at Pentecost when he poured out his spirit. So the, those people that were worshiping false gods, that were wasting their lives on addictions and sins and, and, and corrupt living could be restored could be at peace again with God, could be brought into that family, that spiritual family of God. He was trying to get them to see Israel and then to look up. Look up at Pentecost. Look up anytime. Remember Solomon's prayer about the house, about the temple of God, open to all people, not just the Jews, not just the Israelites, all people. He was trying to get them to see Israel and look up to him, to be fed from him, from his life, from his spirit. And so we come to Pentecost in Acts. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And, and how is it that, they, uh, that, they, that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? The Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phygra and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans 
and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What could this mean? And others mocked, saying, Well, they're full of wine. Well, if we could get wine that would allow you to do that, I think, I think we would be rich. Jerusalem was filled with all these, these travelers. People from all over the place. And, and, and why were they there? Why were they there? Feast of wheat. Feast of first fruits. Pentecost. They were there. And they had come from all over the place. And then they start to, to hear these people speaking the wonderful works of God, being filled with his, his spirit. And you have to think about it. These are not locals. They may be Jews. They may have been descendant of, of different you know, houses of, of Judah, or they may have been Israelites, Benjaminites. But to that city and to that place, they were strangers. So we have a bunch of strangers, a bunch of travelers in Jerusalem at Pentecost, at that harvest time, the, the fields of the first fruits being harvested right here in front of them with that blessing of the first fruits of the church being poured out right there for them to participate free of charge. Just like the corners of the fields of Israel that were left for the strangers and for the poor. The Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, is very much about declaring to the world that God is full of grace and mercy and that he has brought peace between us and himself through Christ Jesus. And that he is saying to all Anyone that is hungry, anyone that is thirsty, come to me. Come to my church. Because in my church, there are corners of the fields that are available for you to eat. Come with your weary souls. Come when you're downtrodden and broken. And you will find peace. And you will find the food and the water, the drink, that gives to life. That's what was being poured out with the Spirit on Pentecost. So could that be one of those deeper meanings of Pentecost that, that we've been looking for? I think Peter would say so. In fact, in his own way, he did. He said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, that your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my, on my men servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. 
I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. I just would love to see a, a, a spiritual recording of that played out. Peter standing there boldly. Peter that 50 days ago denied Christ was now boldly saying, you guys killed him. And it was not possible for that corrupt death to hold him in the grave. And he was probably seeing the faces of some of the folks that said, hey, you, you were with him, weren't you? And now he was saying, yes, I was. What a sermon he was giving. He goes on, for David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Man and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and in his tomb, and, and his tomb is with us in the, to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, that he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Yes, I was there. I was with him. And I have seen him. That's what he's saying. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and and Christ. Wow. And every single one of them still hearing in their own language. Then Peter said to them, therefore, uh, where was I? Now when they heard this, 
They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. To all the strangers, to all the poor, the poor in heart, to as many as the Lord our God will call. Come, gather from the corners of this field of the first fruit. Come gather freely. Just repent. Be baptized. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. And in lots of ways we, we forget how earth-shattering moment this was. This had never happened before like this. We accept it personally now and it's important to us personally now in our lives. That's good. But this was a singular moment in time that started what we have now. That started this blessing that we have. This is the promise of Pentecost. The God who saved us by the sacrifice of his own son, who has made us at peace with God, covering our sins, has now given us a way to eat of the harvest that we were not worthy to eat. We were strangers. We were foreigners. We were cut off. We were distant and poor and wretched. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul is saying this to the Ephesians, but it applies to us. He says, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens, strangers from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been given away. We can harvest from that corner of the fields, that spiritual field. And we can eat of that first fruit blessing. We are, as James said, a kind of first fruits ourselves. Because that's the interesting thing about first fruits. When you eat of it, you become one. You become a first fruit unto God. James chapter 1 and verse 18 of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. By eating of that harvest, we're not strangers anymore. We're now in the household of God. We are of the first fruits. Just as those in Jerusalem heard Peter, saw the miracles, they themselves received the Holy Spirit, and they were no longer strangers. They became kindred with Christ. 3,000 in that moment. And what did all of those people do? What did they do? Well, they went back home. They went back home. They went back to Rome and Arabia and Parthia and Pamphylia and Egypt, wherever they came from. They went back. 
And they told everybody, there's a place where you can get free spiritual food. Where you can get some of the harvest of the first fruits. Where you can give, be given the Holy Spirit. And as we know, the rest is history. As that good news just spread across the world. That Jesus was the Messiah. That Jesus was the King. And Caesar is not. And that he is Lord of the world. And Savior of the world. And there's something else that I want to draw your attention to. Something that never really occurred to me until I was writing this. There's something, something absent from the events that took place in Pentecost. And we probably don't even think about it. So, as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost is being observed in the temple, at that same moment, the Spirit of God was being poured out on his people, the saints. They, in turn, went to the streets and up to the temple itself and began sharing the good news that Jesus, whom the people had murdered, as we've already looked at, whom they had reviled and hated, was that peace offering, was that sin offering, that was just being played out that day in the temple. Because, of course, they were still doing that. And the same offerings that would have been given on that day, Jesus himself had already been offered. But there's something missing. There's something that didn't happen. You remember the parable that Jesus told? Um, I believe it was the, the wedding supper. Because the, the servants of God are, are killed, right? And, and, and the king goes out and destroys those, those wicked individuals that, that killed the servants of God. If you think about it, this city murdered Jesus, murdered God's son. What's absent from this is there's no destruction. There's no punishment. There's no destruction of Jerusalem and judgment from God for that wicked act that they did. And, well, we know the story and we know why. But I bring it out to say how gracious and merciful God is. There was no fire raining down like on Sodom and Gomorrah, right? They killed the Son of God. Wait, there was fire raining down on Jerusalem. The spirit fire. The spirit of God with that rushing mighty wind. He sent a different kind of fire, didn't he? Of grace. That number 50, that representative of God's grace. He did send fire. His mercy and the fire of the spirit. In closing, I'd like you to turn back to that chapter that Joel quoted, rather that Peter quoted, in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also on my maidservants and on my 
my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And you know, Peter was right. That happened. And this was a fulfillment. Pentecost, and the, the first Pentecost was a fulfillment of this. But there are some things in here that have not happened. Right? And I will show my wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. It shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant who the Lord called. Not all of that has happened yet. With every year, with every observance of Pentecost, with every study that we, we make of Pentecost, we add more to it. We add more understanding, and it adds more meaning. We add more memories as well. But there's a great deal more to learn about Pentecost. There's still, to me, a veil that there's more there than we can currently see. There's more for us to understand about this day. And perhaps it is because there's much more to come from this day and its meaning. Peter told the crowns in Jerusalem that this outpouring was a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, and it was. But as we just read, there is more to come. Not all that prophecy has come to pass. It is far from finished. So perhaps that is where the deeper meaning of Pentecost lies. Perhaps that's the veil. Perhaps there is some deeper meanings for Pentecost that will be revealed as those prophecies unfold. And we'll start to understand even more about this day. The Pentecost is far from finished. Why? Because there's more work to do. There's more people to be saved. There's more for, for people to eat of that first fruit harvest. There's more to do. There's more for the church to do. So Pentecost isn't finished. It is really just started. We have more to do. And that's why there's more to learn about Pentecost. Because it's not finished yet. Of all the holy days, Pentecost is unique. Because in it, God has glorified the church. It's interesting. God glorified the church at Pentecost. And to my mind, the other holy days glorify God. But he has picked this one to glorify the church so that the church can be like Israel was supposed to be and be a reflection of God on the earth for the strangers and the poor to come to and to be fed freely without money and without price. 